Thank you, Miss Thelma. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21 this morning. To Numbers chapter 21. And we're continuing our study of the promised land. And at, at this phase, we're, we're not, the Israelites aren't quite in the promised land yet. They're heading that direction, but they're not, they're not there. And through the course of this series, we're going we're gonna to see the conquest of, of the promised land. We've walked through with the, with the Israelites through their exodus out of Egypt. And we even saw the Lord seeking to take them into the promised land. And yet they acted out of fear and not out of faith. And then ended up with 40 years. A whole generation. Wandering in the wilderness. Before God could then take them into the promised land. And before they got there, one significant story happens. We're going to look at that this morning. Look and live. Numbers 21, beginning in verse 4. God's word says, From Mount Or they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as you have spoken clearly to your people in the past, that you would speak clearly today. Lord, show us where we are and show us where we need to be. And Lord, may we have the faith to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's a, it's an interesting Thing that happens here. This is one of those things in the Old Testament. Like Old Testament, it's like what this really happened. Yeah, it really happened. Um, you can't make this kind of stuff up. And the Israelites come to this place where they had just experienced a great victory. The very first, just sort of our context in the, in the context in the first three verses of chapter twenty-one, they had just defeated a king that had come out come out against them. They had achieved this victory they really weren't expecting uh, to have or to make yet, and yet God was with them and gave them an overwhelming victory. And in the midst of that, after a major victory, often for the Israelites comes a spiritual defeat. Uh, You've heard it said to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. (laughs) And that's exactly what the Israelites seem to want to do, even after going through this major physical and military and spiritual victory for them, 
they find themselves spiritually with the Lord in defeat. And, and we see that very clearly as they begin to what? Yet again, begin to what? Complain. Yes. Um, complain. The eighth time throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Pentateuch, throughout this narrative from the time they leave to the time they get to the promised land, they complain eight different times. And this is the last one. I don't know if that means anything. I don't know if that meant this, this particular judgment was severe enough that cured them of it. It took them eight times. But a few things we can learn this morning. Number one, we must own up to our own sin. We must own up to our own sin. And here the Israelites in the midst of this, even in, in victory, it showed that their issue was not primarily an external issue. A lot of times we focus on, okay, it's the things outside of us that make us fall, like the temptations out there in the world or the culture, or things are so bad outside. But in actuality, what shows up here was not that Israelites weren't tempted to do evil by the Canaanites here. They weren't tempted to go to the honky-tonk. Some of you are awake. I don't even, what is a honky tonk? What is, where does that even come from? Right? They weren't, but they weren't tempted to do bad things from the Canaanites around them. Here, their major moral failure was not the paganism outside, it was what? It was their sinful heart on the inside. And here we see this text points out two heart issues that the Israelites dealt with, that God's people dealt with. I believe, I mean, you can draw a straight line. We, as God's people, we deal with these same issues. Nothing, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. We're dealing with the same hard issues. Number one, the people, it says, were impatient. The people were impatient. In verse 4, it says, From Mount Or they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient On the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? Like the kids in the back seat, they were saying, Are we there yet? Why aren't we there yet? And five seconds later, they asked again, Are we there yet? What's the irony in their impatience? What's the irony in their impatience about not being in the promised land? It was their own lack of faith. If they had just trusted God 40 years ago, they could have been in the promised land and already had all kinds of stuff. They were impatient about something that they weren't getting because of their own (laughs) lack of faith. You know, God God has a plan and He has a timing. When we get impatient, it's because we're saying, God, I don't trust you and your plan and your timing. And we say, God, you're not working fast enough. You need to be on my plan. And sometimes when it doesn't happen in our own timing, part of that is God trying to teach us to trust in him and rely on him. And he's, he's trying to teach us the opposite of impatience. He's trying to teach us patience. You can't, you can't teach patience by getting everything you want as soon as you want it, right? In your timing. 
You see, here, their own lack of faith, their own sin, delayed God's blessing. They could have been in the promised land. But their own sin brought with it the consequences. You see, sometimes we aren't experiencing God's blessing, God's peace, God's fulfillment, God's joy in our own lives. Why? Because of our own sin. Because our own lack of belief and our lack of faith and lack of trust in Him. You see, we, we don't believe Him when he, he tells us to follow Him. We don't believe Him when He says to trust Him. And then we get impatient with Him and he wonder, we wonder why we don't have the peace that passes all understanding. We don't have the, the, the joy unspeakable as we talked about last week. All these blessings that God wants to bestow upon us. And none of those, notice like none of the fruits of the Spirit have anything to do with how much money is in your bank account or how many physical blessings you have. All of that will pass. What God wants to give is eternal. It's internal and it's eternal. Our sin, though, breaks our fellowship with God and breaks our peace with God. And God's peace and God's presence and God's joy cannot coexist at the same time as our sin. Can't. And we become... Impatient. And we try to tell God, God, we're, we're ready now, and yet the eternal God, the God of who knows us better than we know ourselves, knows we're not ready yet. There's work to do in our hearts. Their impatience, that was the first heart issue they dealt with. But their impatience led to their second sin, their second failure here, which was what? Ingratitude. Because they not only said, why are we, I mean, why'd you lead us out here to die in the wilderness? You said, you know, we were going to the promised land and we're not there yet. But then look what they said in the middle of verse 5. For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Okay? I mean... What, what commandment did they clearly break on that one? Number one, they clearly lied. Was there food and water? Yeah, every time they were without water, God provided water. Every time they were without... How did they even eat in the wilderness? God, brought, God miraculously provided bread in the wilderness for them. They did not have to plant or harvest, all they had to do was to go out and get it. Okay? I mean, it's like saying, there's the Walmart over there. All you have to do is go in and get the food. And I know some of you are going, it's just too far, preacher. It's just too far. You just don't know. I have to park all the way in the back. And you just don't know. Preacher, there's germs in there. Don't you know? Have you seen the people of Walmart? Have you seen any of those? 
what do you have to, like, Amy, I know, like, does the hand sanitizer over the whole girl. She just wipes them down with the sponge before they go in and after they get out, just in case, like, they breathe any air or anything. But God was providing for them in a miraculous way. And they have the audacity here to call God's supernatural bread, what? Worthless. We hate it. We hate this manna. We hate this free food. We we hate this bread from heaven. Wow. Got a quote for you. It came uh, came up this week uh, on our next slide here. This is from Dr. Dennis Cole, the New American Commentary. It was so good, I didn't even want to try to paraphrase this. He says, when a person's heart is intent on rebellion and beset by discontent, even the best gifts from the Lord can lose their savor. Nothing will fully satisfy until the heart is made right. Was the problem with the food? Was the problem with where they were at? No. Where was the problem? Was the problem with God? No. Where was the problem? The problem was in their heart. See, a lot of times we, we, like, we like to say, well, God, if I just had this and this and this in my life, I'd be better. Or I'd be happy. Or, I, or I'd be content. If I had a hot tub, an in-ground swimming pool, if I had lakefront property... If I, had, if I had one of those machines like they had on that cruise ship where you could just go up and get ice cream 24 hours a day, I would be happy, Lord. Is the problem outside of us? Where's the problem? Inside of us. And the problem with the Israelites was not outside of them. It was inside, and it was inside their heart. You see, this ingratitude that they were dealing with This ingratitude was something that started in their heart long before it ever came out of their lips. You don't just get up one morning and speak against God and Moses if it isn't something that's been festering in your heart for weeks and months, sometimes years. Their heart. And it probably started with one person. One person who went out and decided, man, this manna stinks. I'm tired of this manna. And you know what he did? He went home and told his wife, I'm done with this manna. Man, I'm tired of this manna. And we're never getting there. We've been going around the wilderness forever. I mean, I don't know what to do. And guess what she did? She went and texted her best friend right then and there. And said, we're tired with the man. What do you think about this manna situation? And guess what she did? She put it on the Facebook. <laughs> for all 863 of her friends, who she, hasn't, she doesn't half know who they are. She just accepts every friend request. Not pointing anyone out in here. 
Before you know it, something that was internal became what? External. Something that was something that was within the heart of one person, guess what it did? Like a cancer. It spread throughout the people. So instead of the people being in submission to God and His authority and His will and His plan and His time and resting in Him and trusting Him, guess what the whole people were? The whole people were in an uproar. The whole people were speaking and not just speaking against Moses because Moses can take it like he's a big boy. They were speaking directly against God. Watch out. How many times, how many times did Moses get up in front of God and God say, I'm ready to wipe these people out and start over? How many times did Moses get up and say, please don't do that? Even though God said, I'll start over with you and your family, which would have been pretty cool. How many times did Moses get up and say, no, Lord, please, please, yes. Here, Moses doesn't get that chance on the front end. Here, the sin of the people brought God's judgment. And that's number two this morning. Our sin brings God's judgment. That's a very clear... I know that's, I know that's simple, but it's very clear from this passage. Our, God's, God does not just bring judgment just willy-nilly or just for no reason. He brings it because of our lack of faith, because of our lack of trust, because of our sin. And here, his anger was kindled and burned. And he brought judgment. He brought judgment through these these fiery serpents. And we can talk about if they had like flames down the side or if the fire had to do more with the bite. And it burned when they... When they bit, we can we can talk about those two different things. When we get to heaven, we'll we'll figure that out. You know, we'll we'll get those questions answered. Many times, when we talk about God's judgment, we think about the final judgment when Christ returns and the great white throne and all the dead are brought before God and the books are opened and the names are read and the deeds are read and. You know, the righteous go on to heaven and uh, those who did not bow the knee in this life, they end up getting cast into hell in the lake of fire for eternal torment. A lot of times when we think about God's judgment, that's what we think about. And then as God's people, we, we can say, well, I, I can tune out here. I'm, man, I got my fire insurance. I accepted Christ. I've been baptized. And I mean, I'm good. You know, I'm set. I don't need to, I can kind of tune out when the preacher starts talking about judgment, because that's not for me. This was judgment on the people of God. Sometimes God brings His judgment on His own people. Sometimes God brings a temporary and physical judgment in order to save the eternal souls of His people. Here... Here, God sent these, uh, these fiery servants, serpents. It's, it's interesting. Everywhere, everywhere in Scripture, especially the context of the Pentateuch where we're at, the serpent is never like a good thing. The serpent's always a bad thing. He's always a bad character. I mean, Satan takes over a serpent and 
Genesis chapter 3 and causes this whole mess anyways. The serpent's always something negative or, or, or bad. And here God is, is using this to, as his vehicle of judgment on his own people. These snakes, imagine, these snakes are going through the whole camp and they're biting, they're biting people. People are in pain. People are dying. There's a couple things about, about this judgment. It's sudden. There is no warning. There's no, it's not like God told Moses, tell the people that they must repent or I'm going to send the snakes. And who likes snakes? Right? No, don't want them. It was sudden. It happened. There was no heads up. There was no warning. It came. They just came. It was severe. It was sudden. It was severe. It bit the people. The, the, and the, the idea behind these snakes were it wasn't just like, you know, you had Jake the snake, who was like the snake man, and they sent the snake man out, and he just like poured his little snake oil around the tent, and he, you know, he, he caught all the snakes. These snakes were more than the Israelites could handle. They, there was a supernatural thing behind them. They just could not. It's kind of like this building in Wasp. We can bomb them and bomb them and bomb them, and from the pits of hell, they still come back. I mean, I don't, I don't know what we can do, okay? And these Israelites had these, like, supernatural snakes, and it was severe, and it was widespread, meaning it did not matter. The snakes... It did not matter if you were just or unjust. It did not matter. The whole people suffered. And even if you didn't get bit, one of your kids got bit. Or one of your family members got bit. This this affected everybody. You know, God... Sometimes when we get upset, the purpose of our wrath is to get even. We want to even the score. Oh, yeah. We want to make things right. And by right, we want to make the other person feel just as bad as they made us feel. Or hurt as much as we hurt. That's, that's human. That's our human wrath. The purpose of God's wrath and judgment is not to get even with us because we can never get even. <laughs> the purpose of God's judgment is for, for his people is for repentance. Amen. To bring us to the point where we bow our knee to him. You see, he would rather... His own people not live to see the promised land so that they might make it to the Beulah land, the land that's fairer than day. (laughs) He would rather them die there physically and be saved spiritually. You see, God puts His people through the refiner's fire. Scripture talks about the refiner's fire when, when he takes us like the purification process for gold and precious metals. It is fired up in all the, all the dross, all the impurities through the fire. The fire is hot. It's painful. But it draws 
all of the sin, all of the bitterness, all of the faithlessness, it draws all of that up to the surface where he can then wipe it clean. And at the end of the refining process, the Christian, the believer, the child of God is presented as precious gold and precious silver. We can't get there without going through the fire, can we? Can't do it. Our sin brings God's judgment. And here, you know, God's, God's judgment, He's serious about it, and He pours it out on His people. Just read uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. There's the, uh, John receives a vision from the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's a letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And there were some good churches in there. They had some impressive buildings and great institutions and, and all of that. They got wiped out. You can go today and see the like remains of these cities, the, like even the cities themselves. Some of them, Ephesus is, is just, you know, a, a tourist spot on the map to go to, which was once a bustling city, and Ephesus was one of the strongest churches in the New Testament. And yet God brought his judgment. God brought his judgment. Third and final, we must look to the Lord and live. We must look to the Lord and live. We must look to the Lord to live. The Israelites couldn't solve the snake problem on on their own. They couldn't fix this problem on their own. And yet, God made a way. Part of the process, if you unpack here, you see the people's sin, then you see God's judgment, then you see the people confessing their sin. You notice they go to Moses and say, he says in verse 7, And the people came to Moses and said what? We have sinned. Notice, they didn't come to Moses and say, fix the snakes first. They didn't come to Moses and say, Moses, do whatever you've got to do to get rid of these snakes. They're killing us. What did they recognize first? They recognized the whole cause of their problems was who? Themselves. Not Moses and not God. They said, we have sinned. Confession and repentance is the first step coming out of judgment. To receiving God's grace, that is the first step. To receive His grace, you have to have the need for it. If you don't have any sin, you don't need a Savior. If you're not a sinner, if you don't ever do do anything wrong, if you don't, I mean, you, you don't need a Savior. What are you doing? But we recognize we all need a Savior. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So they they confess their sin. Then they ask Moses to intercede for them. Total opposite of where they started. Notice how bold were they in their sin at the beginning. They spoke directly against God. God, you can't believe you. Here when they come in submission, they realize what? We're not even worthy to go to God directly. And they ask Moses to intercede for them on their behalf. Moses, you go talk to 
uh, you talk to the Lord. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now, in the Old Testament, the people needed an intercessor. They needed a high priest. We need a high priest too. But it, our high priest is not, it's not a man. Our high priest is Christ himself. There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. Christ stands as the mediator, the God-man, between us and between God's wrath and his judgment. So there's the, there's the intercession, and then comes the uh, forgiveness and the, the God's grace. He, he, he makes a way. He actually makes a way for them to... Um, Escape from the judgment. And he does an interesting thing here. This is one of those, like, this is going to be really cool. I want to I wanna watch the video of this. You know, God could have told Moses, okay, I want you to draw a circle in the sand. Take your staff and draw a circle. And everyone who gets in that circle, it's kind of like the lifeboat. Everyone who gets in the circle is saved from the snakes, right? He could have done that. He could have said, okay, get all the people together, even the Baptists, and tell them to hop on one leg. He could have said, do the hokey pokey. He could have, I mean, all kinds of things he could have told them to do. And would that have have worked? would have worked because it was God. It's whatever, whatever he came up with. But God comes up with this. He tells Moses, okay, I want you to make a, a, a bronze snake or a copper snake. I want you to make a metal one. Put them, on, put them on a pole. Stick them up so everyone can see them. And tell the Israelites, whoever would look on the snake on this pole, you'll live. How many have probably thought Moses, this is a, maybe Moses thought, God, this is the craziest thing ever. How does Moses show his faith? He goes and makes this copper snake and puts it on this pole. This is something that they had never done before. You know, they, had, they were just getting the knack of doing all the sacrifices and slaying the bulls and the rams and the lambs and all of that. They, they, they got in the knack of that, the tabernacle, everything. And here God is telling them to do something completely different, something they'd never done before, and this is going to fix it. Moses learned the last time when he didn't do what God exact, told him to do exactly. He learned he should never do that again, whatever God says to do. And so Moses goes out and he makes this, this bronze snake and he puts it on the pole and he, he sets it up. And the word there, to look, is a, it's not just the ones who saw it physically, but the ones who intently gazed upon that snake, the ones who believed God's word, who all he said to do was to look at the snake and you will be saved. And notice he didn't say, if you look at the snake, you won't get bit. What was, what was the snake for? The snake was for after you've been bit. You look at this and you won't die. Wow. God didn't even, God didn't even like take away the whole judgment from them. They still had to endure the biting and the snakes and all of that until 
you know, the snakes went away. I told him, look at the snake. You say, man, why a snake? Because the snake is a cursed animal from the, from the almost beginning, you know. Why, why a snake on a pole? Another question I'm going to ask the Lord when I get there. But I think there's, there's a hint. The snake is the curse. The snake was the curse. When Christ came, we looked in our gospel project this morning, we saw John 3, 14 and 15. He spoke to Nicodemus, who was the Pharisee. He was Sanhedrin. He was top religious dog. And Jesus told him he had to be he had to be born again. And he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was referencing this same exact story in number, this weird story. <laughs> and that this serpent who was a curse became the object of salvation. And Jesus is pointing and drawing the line and he's saying, I and becoming the curse for you so that you might live. I am being lifted up for you so that you might live. I am taking your sin, and I am taking your failures, and I'm taking your past, and I'm taking all of that, all your rebellion. I'm taking all of that. And just as Moses lifted up that snake, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross, which in the Old Testament was another curse, one of the cursings was, cursed is anyone hung on a tree. So Christ becomes the object of our curse. He takes, he's the object of God's wrath, and through taking God's wrath and taking our sin, He becomes the very object and source of our salvation. And that all we've got to do, and, and, and notice it, it wasn't when He, the, the salvation was not go and sacrifice another animal. The salvation was not go to your tent and bring a bunch of gold to the altar. The salvation was not, well, if you're good enough. What was the only thing they had to do? Believe. To look and see their salvation and trust God at His word and believe. And if they believed then they would what? They would receive. That kind of, kind of rhymes, kind of goes together. We believe so that we will receive when we believe. And when Christ comes, He comes and says, believe in Me. And you will have what? Eternal life. There's no checklists on that. There's no to-do list. The to-do list is to surrender yourself, die to yourself, and trust in Him. Quit trusting in yourself and trust in Him. Quit believing in yourself and believe in Him. Quit trying to find your own way to salvation, your own way to God, and trust in Him that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews 12.2 talks about this. It says, Fixing 
our eyes on Jesus, the author, the beginner, the creator of our faith, and the perfecter of our faith, the one who's going to complete us, who's going to save us, who's going who's to carry us to the end, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, the shame by becoming our curse, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, meaning he's done, it is finished, it's complete. Amen? The author of Hebrews tells us, what are we to do as God's people? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Look to Him. If you've never looked to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you, that's the only way of salvation is to look to Him and to trust in Him. It's not if your name is on a roll. It's not if you attend church. It's not if you have perfect attendance in Sunday school. None of those things will get you into heaven. It's not if your parents were good Christians. It's between between you and God. Look to Him. And if you're a believer, and you say, well, Pastor, I've done that. I, I trust in Him. You know, He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. But man, I've got so much going on in my life right now. I don't know what I'm going to do. What does God say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. When I was a kid, I remember um, my dad was, he was big into softball. He was one of these, like, in the 80s, like, softball was, like, the thing for churches. And they had, like, this amazing softball dynasty and went to the Nationals in Texas, like, won the National Tournament for churches. You can actually work all your way up to the Nationals, and they, they won. I don't know how they did it, if there were steroids involved or, you know, what. I was young at the time. I don't know how they did it. Um, and uh, so when I, I got old enough to, to start Little League, you know, I was going to follow in my father's footsteps. And um, I remember the very first words of my very first coach, which you know, if you're, you're a boy, your dad is your first coach. He said, keep your eyes on the ball. You know, when I was five, you know what I wanted to keep my eyes on? The butterflies. I was that kid they put in left field that was out there picking clovers because in Little League, like, the ball never gets out of the infield. You just, they just go out there and sit and they tell you to run inside. And maybe you get to bat. I was, I was the kid at the plate, like, I, I, was, I was afraid of the people who were watching me from the stands. I was the kid that my coach, you know, when you start, it's coach's pitch. I mean, even before that's like t-ball, the ball just like sits on the thing, right? I mean, this is like the easiest level. And coach is pitching. When, when the ball would come, what would I do? I would shut my eyes. I was afraid I was going to get hit by the ball. It was a miracle, Brother Bobby, I got on base. I actually did score one run in my Little League career. I got on base one time. And thank the Lord, the guys behind me were good enough to get me around and, and everything. I was afraid. I was focused on everything around me. I was afraid of the umpire. I was afraid of my coach. I was afraid of my coach who's pitching me. To, like my coach wants to beam me out of the game. 
right? Yeah? I was afraid he was going to hit me with the ball. Sometimes we do the same thing with the Lord. We're afraid he's going to hit us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. And what does he say? Keep your eyes on me. No matter what's going on around you, no matter how dark the storm clouds are, no matter the uncertainty, no matter the physical things you're facing, no matter the spiritual things you're facing, no matter the relationship things you're facing right now, what does he say? Keep your eyes on me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So looking to the Lord to live is not just for those who are lost that they be found, but this is for every person. This is for every person, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Look to Him. Look to Him this morning. Give up your fear. Say, God, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to walk in faith. Lord, forgive me for my own sin. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we have the same sin of ingratitude and impatience with the Lord. Amen? We do. God, why isn't this happening? Why isn't my life turning out the way I thought it was going to be? Why isn't things worked out? Now let's surrender those things and look to Him and receive through faith, that which he has offered. Salvation and peace and love and joy and all of those things. All these things will be added unto you. Let's pray together as we close this morning. Dear Lord, we...